You are listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD. Diabetes Discourse, a non-certified educational series, is brought to you by AstraZeneca, pushing the boundaries of science to create life-changing medicines for people with diabetes. Content of this diabetes education is produced and solely controlled by ReachMD. This series is intended for healthcare professionals only. As America moves into the new frontier of healthcare, team-based care is more and more important. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. John Russell. Today, we're talking with Dr. Candace Morello on the role of the certified diabetic educator at Team Effort. Candace, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. I think one of the things that, that is not always clear to myself and probably to some of the listeners is, you know, how does one become a certified diabetic educator? What is the background of people? Is there one road that leads people to there? What training is involved to call yourself a CDE? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, there are a few guidelines in terms of you do need to have some sort of a, a health science discipline. Um, so either you're, you're a, a pharmacist or a nurse or a dietitian or a physician or you know, some kind of, you've, you've graduated from some kind of a health science program. In addition to that, you need to have a certain number of hours where you have trained patients in diabetes education before you sit for a national uh, exam, a board-certified exam. So you've been doing this for, for 15, 20 years. How have you seen the role of the CDE change? Well, I think that when I first started, I, don't, I think maybe CDEs at the time were a little underutilized. And the role of CDEs has expanded over the years. That's probably the biggest thing. So when I first became a CDE, I, I'm a pharmacist by training, and I trained patients on – I had a glucose meter training clinic, and I trained them how to use their glucose monitors. And then the other thing I primarily did was we had education programs. And so I would talk as a multidisciplinary team – to patients to educate them about the medications used to treat diabetes. And as you can imagine, those there were a very few number of medications available at the time. Yeah, and not, not all the medicines were all that well tolerated either, right? That's right. We only had about four medication classes. And, you know, now here we are, you know, 15, 20 years later, and we have so many different options and a lot of tools to help people with diabetes. So when when a new patient shows up to see you, has been referred in, how do you individualize the goals for that individual patient? Yeah, it's very, very patient-specific. And so we, it, the first bit of time, you know, about 15 minutes of the visit, is really chatting with the patient and collecting a lot of information that has to be integrated to determine what their glycemic goals are, what's going to be best for them um, in terms of treating their diabetes. But also, like in my clinic, we treat hypertension, hyperlipidemia, neuropathy, and whatever other issues come around related to their diabetes as well. But in terms of goal setting and outcome measure achievement, you know, values, that's very, very patient-specific. And I'm happy to go into that more, like, specifically with the A1C, if you like. So it's a misconception in my role as a primary care doctor that you want everyone's A1C to be six, right? Yes. Um, it, as it happens, the patients, the, 
that I see tend to be a little older, and most of them are male because I work at the VA, and I work primarily in type 2 diabetes. So um, for my patients, I, I've had one patient in all the years I've worked in these clinics that have had a goal of less than six. Or, you know, Many of them have goals of less than seven, but the majority of them, because of their number of microvascular complications, their comorbid um, fact, other comorbid issues, as well as their macrovascular complications, the the how the duration that they've had diabetes. I also use if they live by themselves, so there's no one there to help them. Um, should they get hypoglycemia, I use their hypoglycemia risk, and I also use what I call the fall factor, like how high is their risk for falling, so that they have to get up at night to go to the bathroom, like what's the risk of them falling? So I use all of that in determining um, what their A1C goals are. And, and we've certainly learned over the last few years that hypoglycemia in senior citizens is not a trivial event, correct? Absolutely. I mean, there's cardiovascular issues, there's psychological issues, mentation, all kinds of things associated with uh, having hypoglycemia. So really all of our goals, no matter which area of the team we are, are on and helping our patients achieve goal, um, has to be glycemic control without hypoglycemia. So also as a having a pharmacy background, is the, the risk of hypoglycemia of any particular medicine, is that kind of lead you to maybe suggest this category versus that category? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will say, some people might say, oh, insulin. Oh, then you just wouldn't use insulin. But with the newer formulations, you know, such as Glargine or Dudamir, in terms of initiating patients on a basal insulin, you really don't have as high of a risk of hypoglycemia. And so, um, and not only that, we start low and we titrate them very consistently and regularly up over a period of a few weeks. So insulin's not off the board in selecting an agent. I think I read recently that the, the long-acting insulins have a lower hypoglycemia risk than the sulfonylureas. Does that sound true to you? That is absolutely true, and I will definitely even say that's true with older patients as well. The sulfonylureas are not as predictable as the insulin is, at least in, in what I've experienced. You're listening to ReachMD. Uh, this is Diabetes Discourse. This is Dr. John Russell. I'm speaking with Dr. Candace Morello about the role of the certified diabetic educator, a team-based effort. So are there studies that show better patient outcomes with regard to using uh, having a CDE as part of the diabetic care team? Uh, that's a really good question. And I, I, I really think that the answer to that lies in the way CDEs are used and the various you know, hospitals, programs, outpatient programs. So in our, I can speak for our program at the VA in San Diego. I'm, I happen to be a PharmD CDE. I work in the clinic, I see patients, and I do a lot of the CDE, you know, insulin therapy, the cell monitoring, blood glucose training, um, pen, insulin pen initiation and teaching on all of that. I try to do most of that myself. Um, but we also have two other CDEs who are fabulous, and they do a lot of different types of education and small groups and one-on-one. And, um, you know, I think that having a CDE um, 
just having them available within our clinic is very, very useful. The patients tend to like it because it's all done in but one time in one clinic area, and they're not asked to go be referred out to go see somebody else when they've already forgotten perhaps what you talked about that day. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. So, you know, this team-based care, which, which I think is so important, probably the most important thing is really that empowered patient, correct? Absolutely. And they don't come to you empowered, you know. <laughs> they don't come to you like, all right, I am ready to do it. Let me control my diabetes. So what I find is we talk a lot about the diabetes does not control them. We're going to give them tools so that they can take control over the diabetes. And that, and you know, it powers them by giving them tools, giving them, you know, dietary tools, exercise guidelines, medications that are going to help them um, control their diabetes, teaching them how to interpret the glucose values that they take it, that they get at home, and knowing what to do with those numbers. And they feel, they come back by that. I, I see my patients about, you know, first clinic visit, three months and six months. And usually by then they're tuned up and ready to go back to their primary care providers. But by that first um, follow-up visit at three months, they're like, I feel better. They're sitting up straighter in their chair. They feel empowered and they feel really confident about their diabetes. And if there's a few areas that they're not, then we just help them figure that part out. And then um, they go home and they're able to do that. What would be the role in a dietitian in kind of this team-based care for diabetic? Yes, I love it. Now, we all do diabetes, you know, diet education, but our dietitian is fabulous. She's a dietitian and a CDE as well, and she just gives them so much information on everyday living with diabetes, selecting food choices, what's healthier than another thing, if they're going to go out to eat, what are some great guidelines and tips that they can do, food choices they can choose while we eating out so they don't they feel like they're getting a treat but they're not going overboard um i i just think she's absolutely wonderful and it really helps the patients make better choices day to day and when they're with other people in a social environment um, where it might not be as easy to make the best choices i think it's wonderful to be to be able to have a dietitian as a part of our group are there online resources that you find yourself using more often than others with your patients? Oh, that's a great question. I, now, as a pharmacist, I use more medication sorts of resources, um, you know, med like clinical pharmacotherapy databases and that sort of thing, because I'm always looking for drug interactions with, you know, the 25 other medications the patient might be on and that sort of thing. So I use those sorts of references, but... The ADA has some really great sites. The, the AADE also has some really nice, good sites on education. Um, some of the drug companies also have very good educational materials that are not branded um, that I've found to be useful as well. And how important do you think an exercise program is for your recommendations for your diabetic patients? Oh, it's just essential. Just as diet and medications, that third prong is, is exercise. And, you know, I find... You just find what the patient likes to do. Like a lot of my patients love to dance, and so that that's their program, you know. And some patients are, have a trouble with walking or even in starting. So we just say, okay, count houses. Go find a safe neighborhood to walk in. 
count five houses and walk back. And then they do that. So, and they add a house every day. That's kind of how we do it. And they're so thrilled with themselves that they're feeling better and adding more than one house on different days. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So I find, if you find the thing they like to do and you make it, you know, it's a fun thing for them to be able to do. If they have a dog or they have grandchildren or if they have, you know, whatever it might be. I have patients who swim, bike, dance, walk, whatever. I mean, they do Pilates. Some of them do yoga even. <laughs> I would imagine that a fair number of your patients have some neuropathy. Does that kind of limit some of the choices that you're making for them exercise-wise? Absolutely. And sometimes we hold off on, you know, certainly if they have neuropathy that impairs their their sensation, you know, their shoes have to be the right type of shoes. A lot of times we can refer them to get the diabetic shoes. Um, but you, usually if we can control their diabetes by that, I see them again baseline three months and then at six months. So at that third month visit, usually their neuropathy is much improved, and they're ready to you know, do things. Otherwise, swimming is a really good um, option for people with neuropathy. And biking isn't too bad. We use a recumbent with what we recommend. Um, but again, you just got to be very careful that patients are viewing their feet every day. So how should I institute changing and self-monitor blood glucose to that patient who suddenly starts dancing or walking? What should I recommend to them? Do you have them do it right after? Do you have them do it an hour after their activity? When do you incorporate that? One of my favorite things to do is say, okay, test your glucose before you go exercise. And then, you know, I, I really only start out with five or 10 minutes of exercise. So it's a small, positive progression um, with their routine, because this is truly a lifestyle modification that they're embracing for their life. You know what I mean? Not, it's not just a, you know, I think this week I'm going to walk for 15 minutes. Um, but it, we definitely do have them test before and then after the exercise to see if they can see any difference. Um, but these are not type 1 patients who might go out and actually vigorously exercise most of them have type 2 diabetes, and they're, you know, just getting them into a program is really good. And I'm not a big proponent for, a, you know, 45 minutes of vigorous exercise in my patients because most of them are older and they can't tolerate that. Um, but we, we definitely, if they can't exercise much at all, then we shoot for 15 minutes every day, something 15 minutes every day. And if you had just some final things, what should be, as a, as a referring clinician, what should be my expectation from you know, excellence and, and best best practices from a certified diabetic educator? Well, hopefully um, they would be able to give your patients skills, lifetime skills that they can use to control, help control their diabetes. You, they should hopefully be able to empower patients and really educate them to improve their knowledge about their disease state, but also how to control that disease state. Candace, thank you so much for being on the show. The show is Diabetes Discourse. We've been speaking with Dr. Candace Morello on the role of the CDE, a team effort. Thanks so much. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. You've been listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD, brought to you by AstraZeneca, pushing the boundaries of science to create life-changing medicines for people with diabetes. With a portfolio of seven approved diabetes products and other compounds in development, AstraZeneca is ushering in a new era of innovative diabetes treatment options. AstraZeneca research aims to impact the burden of diabetes by researching the underlying mechanisms of the disease that could one day help lead to a cure. 
In addition, AstraZeneca offers resources for patients dealing with diabetes, including the recently launched fit to me Diabetes Diet and Lifestyle Support Program and is committed to supporting patient access to its diabetes treatments through the AZ and Me Patient Assistance Program. AstraZeneca is pushing the boundaries of science with the hopes of creating life-changing medicines for people with diabetes. To learn more about this diabetes diet and lifestyle support program from AstraZeneca, visit fit2me.com. That's fit, the number two, me.com.